greet you all in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. We thank God once again for bringing us together in fellowship as a church to sing songs of praise and honor to his name and to sit under the preaching of his word. Let me also welcome visitors that I see new faces uh, feel at home as you join us for fellowship. Uh, under the preaching of God's word and sing with us, sing as loud as you can, as loud as, loud as you want, and uh, uh, may God bless you. Um, I don't know if maybe someone can uh, introduce all of you. today with our series that we will be doing uh, a church after God's own heart. So today is the last of those uh, several samples that we have been looking at, um, looking at uh, what a church after God's own heart looks like. Uh, so today we're just going to look at the last one as we conclude. We're looking at biblical leadership. A church after God's own heart is, is marked by biblical leadership. We're going to look at first Timothy chapter 3, uh, reading from verse 1 to verse 7. We're just going to look at uh, those ver verses as, we, as we, we conclude our series today. I read from the ESV vision. Follow me as we read God's word. This is God's word. Let us hear him. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He, he must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For, for if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into con the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he must he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. And this is God's word. Let us pray. Our great God and Father, we thank you that you are the one who teaches us your word. We thank you that you are the one who speaks to our lives. And we pray even this morning as we come to you saying, speak, O Lord. Speak to our lives. Teach us your ways. Teach us your truth. Teach us to walk in ways that honor and glorify your name. Teach us, Father, to live in wisdom. We pray that you lift your name on high, even as we look at your word today. Help me, Lord. Protect me from error. Give me clarity of speech and clarity of thought as I declare your word. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. As a believer, 
as a, as a church member, the, the Bible calls you to submit to your leaders. It calls you to submit to their exhortations, to, to their corrections, to their warnings, and to their leadership. The writer of Hebrews is, is clear and, and conspicuous in his words to the, to the Hebrew believers in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. And this is what he says. He says, obey and submit. <coughs> obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. And by implication, as we, as we look at uh, also Paul's instructions to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, and, and to Titus as well in Titus chapter 2, verse 15, um, he is saying to, in, in a way, by implication, he's saying to the churches that they are not to despise their leaders because of their youth, and they are not to disregard their leadership as well. And, and I must say this morning, I must admit that that is a hard thing. It, it's a hard thing to do. Today in our times, uh, leadership has fallen on hard times. There are men who who see leadership as something to make a name for themselves. And so they, they use people to achieve their selfish ends. There are men who take advantage of people financially to enrich themselves and, and take advantage of weak women for their own immoral desires. And let me make it clear. These are not the kind of men that the Bible is calling the church to obey and submit to. When you look at how the Bible speaks about these men, you see that it doesn't give a positive outlook. It doesn't give a positive uh, uh, view of them. It says that they are dogs. They are evildoers. They are enemies of the cross. They are shepherds feeding themselves. They are waterless clouds and, and fruitless trees. The Bible calls us rather to avoid and rebuke uh, 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 instead of submitting to them. On the other hand, Jesus has called men to be under shepherds to his church, to, to give spiritual direction based on the scriptures. And I want to help you this morning uh, by giving you a biblical description of what these men that are called to lead the church of Jesus Christ must look like. In a way, uh, take it as a, as a profile as a profile of what a, 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 a true uh, a leader called by God looks like. As, as, as we think about this together as a church, thinking about what a church after God's own heart looks like and, and the fact that it is marked by biblical leadership, we must have that profile in our minds of what a true leader uh, that is called by God looks like. What is the profile of a good leader? As we look at Paul's words to Timothy, we can see his concern about the leadership in Ephesus. The church in Ephesus was troubled by a man who, who taught error. And, it, 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 and it, at least in some cases, they lived immorally. Christians, especially, thank you, Christians, especially women, were harassed and in need of, of help. In, in chapter 1, Paul urged Timothy to teach truth and to live a life appropriate 
to his teaching. Said in chapter two, he stressed the importance of conduct that befits God's truth on the part of both men and women. And now in chapter three, Paul takes another step to address the problem of false teachers by ensuring that the church has leaders who are morally qualified and who are above reproach. First Timothy chapter three, verse one to seven. Can, can be summarized in these words. A noble, a noble task requires a noble character. A, a noble task requires a noble character. Look at verse 1. Paul affirms the saying that was prevalent in the early church by, uh, about being an overseer. He says, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of an overseer, he desires a noble task. You see, the word overseer referred to elders who were responsible for the leading and the oversight of the church. It, it can also be translated as bishop or, or, or pastor or elder. In other words, it doesn't mean that bishop is a higher title. It's just another word of saying pastor. These were, were, were men in specific congregations where, who are responsible for, for being under shepherds, for, for leading and teaching the church to walk in the ways of the Lord. And Paul says to aspire to the office of an overseer is to desire a noble task. It should be noted here that Paul is not talking about ambition. He's not talking about people trying to make a name for themselves or people that are desiring after power, that are hungry for power. He's not talking about those kind of people. What he's talking about here, he's talking about men who will humbly take up leadership for the progress of the gospel and the glory of God. Kent Hughes argues that an overweening desire for position is reason for automatic disqualification. Such ambition indicates that a man does not understand either the job or what will be required personally and professionally. And I believe that, even as we, we think about this issue clearly, I believe that the, 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 the model of church leadership the Bible presents to us as, as the church is one of a plurality of elders in, a, in each local church. Though the Bible does not give us a specific number of how many elders must be, must be there in the church, it gives us a, a model of a, of a plurality of elders, that a church is led by a plurality of elders. They, they are people who, who, who are shepherding the church, who, although have different responsibility, with the preaching pastor as the first among equals, but the most important word in that sentence is that they are equals. And these elders, though they must be, uh, these elders that, that, that take up leadership must be marked by certain qualities or, or characteristics in order for them to qualify for the office itself. So Paul here instructs Timothy on what qualities or, or characteristics to look for when he appoints leaders in the church. He enumerates or, or numbers several qualities that can be divided into three categories in relation to society. One, 
in relation to himself, two, and in relation to his home, three. So let us look at those three categories. Let us look at first uh, the, the category in relation to society. We see that in verse 2 and verse 7. Verse 2 and verse 7. Look at what Paul says. Verse 2a. He says, Therefore an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife. And in verse 7 he says, Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Paul begins here in this area of the elder's reputation. He says, therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. He, th th this speaks of conduct that is observable. Something that we can see. The idea of being above reproach obviously does not mean that one is sinless. But it means that he is a man who cannot be accused of anything sinful that disqualifies him for ministry. That if he were to be accused, at the end of the day, it would not stick. He, he must be a man who is, who, who is not under any scandal. And it is clear that uh, this is a high standard. That, that Paul sets for the elder. And it is not without the reason, the, 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 the way he does this. Leaders must be a good model of godliness to follow. Their lives must, be, must, must, give, must not give opportunity for non-believers to malign and, and attack the reputation of the church. That is why he says in verse 7 that moreover he must be well thought of by outsiders. He must even have a good reputation by, by, outside by, by those who are not Christians. They must look at him and see him as a man of character. So in leadership, it's not about, uh, it's not about what you have. Actually, it's about character. Character is number one in leadership. He must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil that the name of Christ may not be attacked because of him. The, the church may not be maligned. The reputation of the church may not be attacked because of his reputation. And, and John MacArthur gives four, four reasons why leaders must take great care to remain above reproach. He says this. He says, first, they are, to, they are the special targets of Satan, and he will assault them with more severe temptations than others. Those on the front lines of the spiritual battles will bear the brunt of satanic opposition. Second, their fall has a greater potential for harm. Satan knows that when shepherds falls, when a shepherd falls, the effect on the sheep is devastating. Thirdly, leaders' greater knowledge of the truth and accountability to live it brings greater chastening when they sin. Fourth, Elder, sin, uh, elder sins are more hypocritical than others because they preach against the very sins they commit. So it is very important that when we look at the area of, of, of eldership, we, we see that the Bible has set a higher standard for these men. That as the church, when we consider men and say these are men that we, 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 we select to, to lead us and to, to, to guide us as a church, they must meet up to these standards. He goes on to look at 
the area of his marriage. He, he says he must be the husband of one wife. And the idea here is that it's not that he, uh, the elders are, are, are those who are only married. And that you can only be an elder when you are married. That is not the idea. And if that was the case, it would mean that Paul and Timothy, who were themselves not married, were not qualified for this very task. But what Paul means that if he is married, he must be the one woman kind of husband. He must have eyes for his wife alone. He, he must be devoted to his wife alone. You know, it is possible to be a husband of one wife, but not to be a husband who is looking at one woman. So Paul is saying, in terms of his integrity, in terms of his relationship with, wife, with his wife, it must, be, it must be one of fidelity, it must, be, it must be one of faithfulness, it must be one of devotion. He must be committed entirely to his wife. So in relation to, to society, he must be, as a leader, he must be blameless in his conduct and, and also in his marriage. So the second category of looking at the qualities that make up a leader or an elder is in relation to himself. We see that in verse 2c to verse, verse 2c, verse 3 and verse 6. Let us look at it. So he says that first of all he must be, the overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, that is in relation to society. Uh, again, he must be sober-minded. He must be self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Verse 6, it says, he must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. This is in relation to himself. The, the, the first three qualities speak of the leader's self-mastery. He says he must be sober-minded, self-controlled, and respectable. It is clear that they group well under the heading of self-mastery. They are, they, they are words that relate well together, that it is hard to, 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 to break them apart. But uh, for the purpose of this sermon, I would like us to, to briefly look at each word. To be sober-minded is to, to be alert, to, to be clear-headed. In other words, the, 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 the leader or the elder must be one who has the ability to think clearly on issues of importance. He must be a man that is alert, that is sober-minded. And it is followed here by self-control. This speaks of a man who is well-disciplined and, and knows how to order his priorities straight. John MacArthur explains that he is a person who is serious about spiritual things. Uh, that does not mean he is cold and, and humorless, but that he, he views the world through God's eyes. The, the reality that the world is lost, disobedient to God, and bound for hell, leave little room for frivolity in his ministry. Such a man has a sure and steady mind. He is not rash in judgment, but thoughtful, earnest, and cautious. And, and Paul 
lastly says that this man must be respectable. And it follows uh, logically that a man who is sober-minded, a man who is self-controlled, will be a respectable man. Because his life is orderly. His life is ordered well. He knows his priorities. All these qualities, they show that he is a self-mastered man. And, 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 and because he's self-mastered, it shows again that he's a man mastered by God. These are men that we must look at as, uh, as, as our leaders, as your leaders. These are men that you must look out for. And Paul turns himself uh, from, from self-mastery, then he looks at his ministry. He describes it by using two words. He said he must be hospitable and able to teach. The Greek word here for hospitality is, is a word that, that can be translated as a lover of strangers. He loves strangers. And this is not only a virtue of the elder alone, but Paul calls the whole church in, 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 in Rome saying they must share with God's people who are in need. And they must practice hospitality. In other words, in every Christian, in every Christian uh, there must be a heart of hospitality. Let me say it this way. Every Christian home must have open doors and bigger tables. We must have open doors and bigger tables. And that is not so in our day, is it? We have bigger walls. We have, uh, we have electric fences. Uh, the only thing that is left is to put signs on our walls that says, stay out. But as Christians, the Bible calls us to do what? To have open doors and bigger tables. To welcome strangers. And a leader as well must be marked by hospitality. He must be not only in the area of welcoming people in his, in, in, in his home, but also welcoming people in his life. Being an open man. Being an approachable man. Not being lofty and, 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 and being distant. You know, it, it, that is possible. For a man to be so lofty and distant that people are afraid even to say hi to him. So it's very important that he be hospitable, not only in his home, but even in his life, in the way he, he relates with people. He, he must be marked by hospitality. Again, Paul goes on to talk about his relation to ministry, that he must be able to teach. He must be hospitable, but he must also be able to teach. He must have the ability to explain the scriptures. In Titus, Paul describes this in detail. He says in chapter uh, 1 of Titus, verse 9, he says that he must hold firm to the trustworthy word taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it. This means that he must be a man who spends time in the Bible. He, he must be a man who studies carefully, comparing scripture with scripture who is able to communicate and explain biblical truth and if need be to defend it he must be a man filled with the scriptures so Paul looks at this issue that this is a man who is supposed to be in leadership a man who knows the scriptures a man who is hospitable 
he goes on to look at his self-mastery by looking at his ministry and then he goes on to look at his temperament in verse 3. He says he must not be a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a love of money. You see, the phrase that he uses for drunkard here means that he must not be addicted to alcoholic drinks. And this would clearly darken his ability to lead carefully and wisely. I love what uh, Isaiah says when he talks about leaders that are, uh, that are controlled by, by drunkenness. He speaks about them in, in Isaiah chapter 28, verse 7. This is what he says. He says, these really, talking about, about the priest and the prophet, these reel with wine and stagger with strong drink. The priest and the prophet with reel with strong drink. They are swallowed by wine. They stagger with strong drink. They reel in vision. They stumble in giving judgment. Being addicted to wine and being a drunkard darkens the ability to give wise judgment. So Paul says, an elder must not be a slave of a bottle. He must not be a slave to the bottle. He must be a man of, who is clear-minded. Again, he goes on to say, he must not be violent, but gentle. Here's the thing. This is an absolute requirement for a person who is, who is to be an under-shepherd. He, he, must, he must seek to be like Christ, who was a gentle shepherd, who was meek and, and lowly, and invited the weary and the burdened to come to him for rest. Douglas Milner explains this. He says, gentleness rather than physical force will always elicit desired, uh, the desired response of trust, respect, and affection from the congregational members. Imagine if an elder was... Uh, I, 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 I heard about another elder in a church uh, where ladies who were singing in a choir there was another one who was always singing off, off, off tone. He was, she, she, she was always uh, out. So one day he, because he kept telling her each and every Sunday not to sing off tone, he, he got so angry that he got up from his chair and pushed her. So imagine that kind of elder. He cannot be trusted. Not only that, but he must not be an elder. He must not be a man given to violence, but he must be a gentleman. He must be a man that can be trusted, that can be respected, that can uh, be loved as a leader. The next quality that he deals with, he says he must not be quarrelsome. It sounds like these two are, are related, but... And the first one, he deals with physical violence. The second one, he talks about the habits of his, his words, the habit of his speaking, the way he speaks. His words must be words of kindness, must be marked by kindness and patience and not quarreling. He, he must not be a man who, who quarrels about with his words. You see, quarreling destroys what God is doing in the church. Words can be piercing. To such an extent that people are hurt for a long time with the ways that we speak, with the ways that we say. Uh, 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 there's, a, there's a famous saying that people like uh, 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 saying, 
that goes like this. Stick and stones can break my bones, but words can do me no harm. That is not true. Words can do you more harm than stick and stones. Because the, 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 the harm that sticks and stones do you can be healed, right? But the scars of words can last forever. So it's, it's very important that as leaders, as you look for leaders as a church, because this is not just a sermon, right? <laughs> this is not just a sermon. This is more of a vision casting for the church to say we need leaders. We need elders in the church. So as, as we look at those kind of men, as we pick, up, pick out those kind of men, these are, are men that must be careful and gentle with their words. Their words must be words of life, words that are building. Again, Paul says that this man must not be a lover of money. He must not be a lover of money. In, 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 in other words, money should not be, be a motivation uh, for him to do God's work. And I'm reminded of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones who, who left his medical practice to become a pastor. He left the, the medical room to go to the pulpit. And that meant that he would take a 90% cut from his salary. These are men that are concerned more about the glory of God. These are men that are concerned more about the life of the church. They are not motivated by money. They are not motivated by how much they are going to make. I know men who went to seminary who are not even saved at all. And when you ask them of their motivation to go to seminary, they said ministry has a lot of money. Ministry has not, does not have a lot of money. It does not have a lot of money. So the motivation must not be one of loving money. Uh, John MacArthur explains this. He says, it is perverse, it is a perverse corruption of the ministry to be in it for money. Love of money is what is at the heart of all motivation of false teachers. This is what motivates false teachers. This is why they, they, they go into ministry. This is why they take up leadership positions so that they can amass as much wealth for themselves as possible. Paul reminds Timothy in chapter 6, verse 6 to 10. This is what he says. This is what he warns him against. He says, Now, there is great gain in godliness with contentment, but we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with this we will be content. Listen to this. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and, and, and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Reading this passage, one will have to see 
that prosperity gospel is nonsense. That, that prosperity gospel leads people astray from God because prosperity gospel says God blesses you or God looks upon you with favor only when you are rich. If you are rich, you must blame your faith, right? You must blame the fact that you don't have enough faith to trust in God. You are not claiming it. You are not naming it. But the Bible says those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. You see the, 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 the contradiction? That these are not passages. You cannot find a, 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 a prosperity preacher coming to this passage and saying this morning we will look at First uh, Timothy 6, verse 6 to 10. These are passages that they, 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 they avoid as much as they can and they twist passages to, to sound like God wants you to be rich and that way it shows that you are a true Christian, that you are godly, that God is favoring you, but the Bible is, 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 is presenting no, no such view. And the man of God, a man who's a leader, is a man who knows that who knows that my motivation, as God calls me to, to eldership, as God calls me to leadership, it is not for me to exercise power. It is for me to serve God for the progress of the gospel, as I said, and for the glory of God. That is very important to think about. That is very important, uh, to, to, something to, to have in mind as we go into such a task, into such a noble task. It is something that must drive us. We must not be driven by riches. We must not be driven by money, but we must be driven by the glory of God alone. So a leader, in relation to himself, must have self-mastery. He, he, must, he must minister well in hospitality and in the word, and he must have the right temperaments. He must be a man of the right temperament. The third category that, uh, in looking at the qualities that make up a leader, is in relation to his home. In relation to his home, we see that in verses 4 and verses 5. Listen to what Paul says. He says he must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he, how will he care for God's church. You see, in relation to the leader's home, Paul is more descriptive here. The reason for this requirement becomes clear in the next verse that he, 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 he calls. He says the, the overseer must be a manager first of his home, then of the family of God. The, 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 the same description appears again in, 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 in First. Timothy chapter 5 verse 17 and in Romans chapter uh, 12 verse 8. And, and it, it highlights the aspect of total leadership involved in this role. But again, it must not be understood as a manager of a company that uh, the overseer is called to be. He's not called to be a manager of a company. Rather, he's to be a manager of people with, with the goal not of, of larger company profit margins but of spiritual growth in, in the life and faith of, con of the congregation. That must be the goal. The further explanation goes on to say 
uh, that says, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive, it, it, it literally means that having his children in submission with all reverence. You see, the father is responsible for the submission and obedience of his children. The attitude and behavior of his children, therefore, is a good test of the parental competence of the man. Again, let me say this, because you're looking at me in your mind and say, ah, ah, you, you don't have a child. Paul is not saying he must have a child. He says when he does have a child, this is the kind of man that he must be. He must be the man who manages his household well. Again, we must use that logic to Paul and say, Paul didn't have a child. Timothy did not have a child. So that is not the, the thrust of the passage. The thrust of the passage is on the if. If he does have a child, if he does have children, that he must be a man who has parental competence. His children must be able to obey and be in submission. They, they, they must be taught to recognize the father's given authority, which, which they are bound to respect according to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 to 3, and according to Colossians chapter 3, verse 20. And in a well-run family, their submission and obedience will be willing. They are, they are free from... from, from they, they are not rebelling, they are not self-willed, but they are, they are freely submitting themselves to, the, to, the, to, 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 to their father. He's not, he's not leading like a, like a dictator, right? They are not fighting him and saying, this 93-year-old man must step down as a father. He's not stepping down as a father, but they are willingly submitting to him. He goes on to say, as we see the, 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 the reasoning behind this qualification, it follows these words. He says, for if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? How will he care for, for God's church if he does not know how to manage his own household? We say that in verse 5. And this question contains its own answer, right? It, it's, it's impossible for him to care for God's church if he cannot care for his own household. The family is a microcosm of the local uh, congregation. Just as the congregation can be considered, considered as an extended or larger family of God, the same sort of skills of supervision and leadership are required for both. Family life is the natural training ground for church leaders. So, so that if a man appears to lack competence here, sensitivity or wisdom uh, in the lesser sphere of, of his family, it should send a clear signal to the congregation that he will not, he will, he will not likely succeed, succeed in the larger and more prestigious household of God's church. If he cannot succeed in a small household, he cannot succeed in God's household. I know I've been giving you abstract ideas and this profile to, to look at a, a, a leader, but it's very important. It's very important that we consider these things. In other words, I, I'm saying in, 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 in here, as, as, as I'm giving you these things, that in the same way as we take other professions with seriousness, we should do the same for eldership. Let, let me give you a, a, a more of a practical 
example. Imagine this. You have to get uh, a major uh, surgery on, on you. You, you have to you go under the knife. You have to, to get a major operation done. And, and you go to the, uh, to the, to the hospital. You, you are there uh, sleeping on that bed. And, 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 and the doctor comes who is supposed to perform that operation on you. And, and, and he starts to talk you through it just to relax you. And, and, and as you're talking to him, uh, you, 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 you begin to wonder. I wonder where he studied his... his is uh, to become a medical doctor. And you ask him, uh, where did you study? How many years did you study? So you are also uh, uh, interested in, in his profession. And he tells you, no, no, I, actually I didn't study for that. Uh, I, uh, I, I just watched television. I, 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 I used to see people doing operations on, on TV and I read a lot about it. I, I read books, I read magazines, I, I, I saw Facebook posts, I saw pictures of people getting operations, I, I, I watched a lot of YouTube videos. Will you sign your life to that man? Never. Never. Because you want the qualified man to do the job. You want the man that you can trust. The same seriousness that we look at other professions is the same seriousness we must look at the eldership. This is the criteria that Paul has given us and says this must be the kind of man. He's not suggesting the word that is important, the word that is the key factor in this qualifications is the word must. He's not saying this is my suggestions. These are just things that I'm saying. Uh, you don't have to take them. You don't have to go with them. He says he must be like this. If we are to take other uh, professions seriously, we must take the eldership seriously as well as a church. MacDever writes that instead of searching for leaders with secular qualifications, we are to search for people of character, people of reputation, ability to handle the word. And, and, and who display the fruit of the Spirit in their lives. Those are the kinds of people we should recognize and, and into whose hands we should commit the responsibility of leading a congregation. And let me say this as, as concluding remarks, that we should look at men who are confident in God's power, men who are committed to God's truth, who are compelled by God's knowledge and committed to the glory of God. Amen. Lord, we thank you. As we see this picture of a church after God's own heart, we, we pray, O oh God, that you help us as a church to go in that direction, O oh God. In, in the direction of your will, in the direction that honors and glorifies your name, in the direction that uh, uh, will, will lead to the progress of the gospel, will lead to the glory of God, uh, will lead to uh, the, 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 the evangelizing of, 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 of sinners, will lead to, to the unity of the church. We pray that you honor your name as we think about these things and try to implement them in the life of the church. Glorify your name in our midst. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.